There are four words the Greeks use for love. Of course, for us, love, you know, we love chocolate, we love ice cream, we love our wives. You know, it's all the same word, but the Greeks had four separate words. And one of those words is agape. And, and one of the main, I guess, misconceptions in the church, I know for me, I've heard it in many, many times over, is that this word is, it's the godly love. It's the, the love that we attain to, the agape. It's the greatest of all loves. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie, and he is the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, this week again, we find ourselves in our series, Grace and Truth. And if you uh, missed our sermon on Sunday, you can find it at whitefieldschurch.com. And it's the way of love. We were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole chapter, and kind of the pinnacle, the the, the summit of this entire book, uh, that this letter that Paul has been writing to the Corinthians, we kind of come to that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So whitefieldschurch.com, uh, you can download the sermon there, of course, YouTube and Facebook, you'll find us there, and all of your favorite streaming platforms, podcast platforms. Uh, and please, if you would, just, you know, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, you know, uh, Give us a like if you're listening right now or watching, and, uh, you know, share it with your friends. You know, if there's something that they really need to know. I mean, this is a, a topic that, you know, the topic of love, and it's a word that's thrown around a lot. And I'm not sure people even understand what it means nowadays. And, and so it's just a great way to get back to what does God say is love. And uh, so we've, we... Uh, we're looking again here at, at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. One of the things, I guess, that was kind of maybe surprising for a lot of people was this word agape. You know, as, as you pointed out in the sermon, there are four words the Greeks use for love. Of course, for us, love, you know, we love chocolate, we love ice cream, we love our wives. You know, it's all the same word, but the Greeks had four separate words. And one of those words is agape. And, and one of the main, I guess, misconceptions in the church, I know for me, I've heard it in many, many times over, is that this word is, it's the godly love. It's the, the love that we attain to, the agape. It's the greatest of all loves. But, um, you know, what happens if, you know, if they're, they're non-believers that maybe espouse some of these traits that he he listened in, in chapter 13. And, and you even mentioned there's other places where this word agape is used. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to the, the idea, and some, some people talked to me about this after service on Sunday, that this was surprising, but also helpful for them to understand, is that the idea of agape love sometimes has been portrayed as like, this is divine love. This is the love that only God is capable of. And the only way that we're ever capable of it is if God is has poured out that love in our hearts and therefore only Christians are capable of agape love. But that's simply not true. And on the one hand, it is true that God loves us with the highest form of love and that by the power of the Spirit, we are enabled to love others with that highest form of love. But there's a little bit more to it. So the question is, can people who are not Christians practice or utilize or whatever you want to say, agape love? And the answer is yes, and not always in good ways. So, for example, in John 3, verse 19, Jesus is speaking and he says that some people are lost and perishing because they have loved agape. They have agape loved 
the darkness rather than the light. Uh, the light of the world has come, but they have loved darkness instead. In 1 John, John talks about how uh, he says, do not love the world because some people love the world and, you know, to the, to the um, cost of loving God, meaning that they don't love God, whereas they should, but they love the world instead. And the word he uses is agape. So, I mean, particularly that John 3 passage is really interesting because it talks about how people love darkness and are perishing as a result. So what does that mean? It means that non-Christian people are capable of this highest form of love, which, as I said on Sunday, is characterized by giving, self-giving, and it is characterized by sacrifice. Now, that's, what, that's, the, that's the definition of idolatry. When your highest love that you're capable of is directed towards something other than God, something that's destructive, something that is uh, sinful in some cases, or maybe it's the way that, you know, maybe it's a good thing, but the way that your uh, posture is towards it is what is sinful. Okay, so what does that amount to? Um, yeah, I think that people can get confused in this sense because they'll say, well, I know this person and he's a Muslim, for example, or he's a Hindu, or he is a non-religious person um, and doesn't love and follow Jesus, and yet he is kind and patient and doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth and these kinds of things. And they say, well, how is this possible? And, you know, famous quote from Nietzsche, Nietzsche said, uh, I might be willing to believe in your Redeemer when your Christians look more like the redeemed. And so how is that? That if the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, that sometimes there are people who are not Christians who seem to portray or live out agape love better than people who are Christians. So how does that all make sense? And, and the way that it makes sense that we understand that we are created in the image of God, right? And there are things about us that are not broken in that image but there are parts of us that are, are broken. And it really, I think it's actually a really important realization for people to come to, because I think there can be this idea that Jesus came to save bad people and make them nice people. But then what if, what about the person who says, well, I don't think I am a bad people, right? I think I am one of those nice people. Therefore, I don't need Jesus, right? Maybe the, maybe the murderers in the jail, they need Jesus, um, but not me, because I'm a pretty good person. You know, I take my kids to school on time and things like that. Um, I think that this is such an important message, and it's found throughout the New Testament. Look at the, the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. It's a story about two sons, one who was, you know, your classic kind of like off the rails, uh, you know, sinner type, you know, spending money, prostitutes, lewd stuff, drinking, etc., parties. But then the other son is the moral one, right? He's the one who didn't break any rules. And yet the point of the story is that the one son repents, but the other son doesn't. And in other words, there's more than one way to be lost. It means that good people need to be saved, not just bad people. Um, and people who are generally kind and loving, um, it's possible to do that apart from being transformed, but only to, uh, I would say there's a limit to it. John Calvin famously said that before a person is renewed, they are capable of good deeds, but they do those good deeds for skewed reasons. And he listed two. He said they do them for reasons of self-justification, right, to prove themselves to the world and to perhaps even God. 
Um, and the other reason is self-glorification, basically to pat themselves on the back and say, hey, look at all the good things I do. I really am a good person. And so, um, you know, when it comes to kids, I think people genuinely do love and care about their kids. But of course, that's part of how God made us to reflect his image as a father. And that image of God is not completely lost, even though we are wholly fallen into sin. So we reflect part of that image in that, in that act. And yet, nice people need Jesus because uh, it takes only one sin to make you a sinner, right? All of us are born into sin, and therefore we all need to be redeemed. And apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. Yeah, it just reminds me, like, many times, you know, if there's, like, an accident or something happens, the, immediately they'll, they'll give, you know, they'll say so many people were hurt or died, and they'll say, and there were, you know, so many children among them. You know, it's immediately we go to, you know, it's just that in our, in our as you pointed out, it's that kind of image of God, that fatherly uh, love that we have, unconditional, even for other people's kids, you know, <laughs> that we just kind of pour out for, you know, anonymous kids were heard on TV and we're like, our hearts are broken for them, you know. And it just reminded me, last year I was actually having a conversation with my neighbor. We were talking about Project Greatest Gift, which we're in the midst of right now. And, you know, she was I was t telling her, hey, we're doing this thing for kids, and she wanted to really get involved. And during the course of our conversation, you know, she was the same thing about, you know, you know, it's just be being good. That's what it's all about, right? It's just being good, you know. And, uh, you know, people just have that sense that being loving and it's just it's just being good i'm just i'm you know i can be all of these things but it's what are you loving and i think that's an important part of the the question and i think you know this is i think we were talking about it after service on sunday you you talk about this passage has been dissected so much you know i think the phrase you used was that you know and you know in order to dissect something you got to kill it you know many people have kind of kill this particular chapter yeah. you know yeah the saying is that um that this passage is beautiful and taking dissecting is kind of like dissecting a flower you can do it but you destroy the flower in the meantime and uh, we don't want to destroy the passage uh it's beautiful on its own right yeah i mean yeah you almost just can read it and yeah. just kind of take it in and and you know kind of want to you want to kind of get out of the way of the passage itself but i think i think it's been good for the church you know, as we've seen it in the context of the entire book, and and in the entire book is that the idea of that we have a higher calling to something greater, and and we need to have these things reordered in our lives, our worship, our loves, our you know those things that we pour our lives into, uh, our priorities have to be reordered, you know, and that's what Paul has been trying to do in the course of this particular chapter and so yeah just a beautiful I, I just encourage our listeners to um just read it read it and see you know as 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 god speaks to you through those things and especially though yeah you know you did an exercise on sunday morning you know um verses four four through seven you know put your name in there and then realize how much you fall short <laughs> and then put put jesus name in there and realize that's the one you should be pouring your love into and um just something for us to remember 
this week, especially as we head, you know, we head into to the Christmas season and Thanksgiving and all of that. And this word love has just been redefined in our society. And it's important that we take the definition back and find out what the Bible truly says about love. So first, uh, whitefieldschurch.com. If you missed the sermon, definitely share it uh, with your friends. Somebody might, might benefit from this. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.